Good day to you all. Another Mariners vodcast. James Osborne here, along with Shannon Dreher, Mariners insider extraordinaire for 710sports.com and 710 ESPN Seattle. We've got a lot to cover today. Um, We've got to get through some World Series stuff, some fallout of that for the Houston Astros and their embarrassing loss in the World Series. Ooh. Very embarrassing. I like the embellishing um, there. Yes. Uh, we also have to get into a couple of two key Mariner free agent signings that happened over the last week that are very important. <laughs> Um, Come on. We also are going to have to get into the coaching staff changes. These, uh, as we sit here and record this on Thursday, these were just announced literally an hour ago. So we're going to get into some instant analysis of that and some potential uh, impact that, that those decisions could have. Um, but where would you like to start no, first? Oh, you're leaving out the best part. That's right. Howdy's most dangerous game. So I will be putting <laughs> Shannon through the gauntlet of my most dangerous game surrounding the 2019 Mariners getting ready for 2020. So we will play Howdy's most dangerous game. But like it sounds almost Harry Potterish or oh yeah. oh it's it's a harrowing Ethical? experience. A har- okay, yes, all right. absolutely. Might we need one of these whiteboards <laughs> with all the football plays Ooh, on it? Ooh, wouldn't that, that help be me fun? Navigate through it. <laughs> I think you're uh, you're going to be okay just with your straight. Um, strength and your mental acuity. I think you're going to be good with it. Well, with the lights in here, I'll be awake. That's yes. for sure. It looks Perfect. Like we've got new lights in here, so we might be two completely different people. That's true. Yeah. All right. Let's get. Let's get. To yeah. It. Let's start with the World Series. Let's start with the Astros and some of the things that you saw. You're hearing um, the fallout of the World Series. Well, it was a great World Series. I think that we can uh, agree. A lot of fun to watch. Um, was it a series turning moment when? Uh, the Brandon Taubman situation occurred, and uh, the Astros made the, in my opinion, completely wrong move of immediately coming out and uh, denying what the reporter from Sports Illustrated said and saying that she made it up. And uh, it, it was pretty amazing how quickly uh, bad feelings kind of came into play on that. The Astros are a team that I have enjoyed watching, which is hard to believe when you enjoy uh, watching this team, a team that did what they did to the Mariners this year, but they played good baseball. It's been interesting how they've come together. But um, uh, we've got friends over on the other side, enjoy the broadcasters. We spent a lot of time with them. So I was you know, really looking forward to a great World Series, and that's what I wanted. Didn't really care who won. And you kind of got it. Got it. Absolutely uh, started to really like the Nationals the more we learned about them. But um, it was just wild to turn on the TV after – the situation with the Astros occurred and all of a sudden like you know what I don't like these guys I don't like watching these guys and uh, to have it just happen like that surprised me because usually I can separate the baseball from everything else and it sounds like that's happened with a lot of other people as well did it impact what happened on the field well it certainly was a distraction Um, and and so I, I found that interesting And you kind of throw in, along with that, a lot of the things that you've heard about the Astros. They've got a reputation in baseball and not always doing things the right way. Mm. Of course, in the Yankees series, they filed a complaint about uh, believing that they were stealing signs. And stealing signs is a part of the game, but there are ways that you cannot cannot have electronic assist on it. Uh, A lot of teams go into Houston and are really on guard. Uh, They think that things are happening Mm. in that building. I think the Astros kind of tip things off when they always run double signs regardless if somebody is on base. So, you know, they're thinking somebody's doing it. They're probably doing it. You're probably the one who's doing it. You're going to extensive measures to defend yourself. You're probably. So, I mean, this is nothing new. This is something we've known and you've 
heard around baseball for a long time. And they got a lot of allegations about pine tar use and increasing the spin rate on their pitchers. Another Trevor Bauer came out and accused them basically of uh, putting all sorts of substances on their fingers to essentially increase the spin rates and the action on the pitchers that their pitchers yeah, use. They say if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying, and I think the Astros are probably trying pretty hard. Yeah, a lot like, of the well, the Patriots that, have done that, that for two decades, you know, that's, too. That's kind of how it is. So, so. it's uh, how do you weigh that? You know, it's like, well, if they're not getting caught, good for them. I, I hmm. don't know how you weigh that, but this is a reputation that they have. And there are things, it is, they're not the only team. It's, we travel around. Um, there are teams where when they have meetings in the visiting clubhouse, they kick the clubbies out. I mean, hmm. there, are, there are organizations that some teams suspect that the clubbies are spies. I mean, this kind mm-hmm. of thing goes on. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes uh, some sort of kind of gamesmanship, you might call it. I know there are a couple of places where the Mariners have gone in the past where, oh, we can't find the keys to the weight room. Mm. You know, that kind of thing definitely goes on. But the Astros seem to be taking it to a different level right now and uh, really came out of the World Series with a black eye. I think. Uh, and well, it's not the first time they've come out of a World Series with a black eye, too. Did you hear what happened today? I haven't yet, You haven't no. heard what happened today? Yeah. All right, so it is Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's the off-season, so I know what day it is, which I'm really <laughs> proud Good of for myself. you. I get kind of a normal <laughs> life, and you understand what weekends are and whatnot. Uh, this was kind of a stunner, and I, we don't have all. It's Again, it's Thursday, so I'm sure more will come out about this. But uh, a tweet came across. Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan says in a text message he will not continue in his role as an executive advisor to owner uh, Jim Crane of the Astros. Quote, I will not be back with the club and will leave it at that. Hmm. That's huge. Yeah, tell me more. uh, How big is this for them? Because I've been to that stadium, and they were selling, like, Nolan Ryan steaks all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like, they had an actual barbecue section where you could buy Nolan Ryan steaks. What does this mean well, and you also see him sitting behind home plate at virtually every game. He's a huge part of that organization, absolutely beloved, obviously, in Texas. Um, I don't know how hands-on he is with the pitching, but uh, you know he is kind of synonymous with the Astros. And for him to step away and the quote, I will leave it at that, you know, indicates that there is more that I am not getting into. Yeah. Um, I, I find that... Very interesting. I'll be interested to hear what more comes out about that. There was uh, also apparently some movement within the front office there. Nolan Ryan's son, Reed Ryan, was an executive, uh, I believe, in the sales side, and his position was changed, and Jim Crane's son was given a position in the same department. I don't know if that has Hmm. anything to do with it. I did see some tweets that that was Reed Ryan's preference. He wanted to do more uh, in the public, but to have in the public sector, but to have those things happen at the same time, that's an awful lot going on with the Astros yeah. right now. And just kind of that terse statement from Nolan Ryan, you just add that to everything that's been happening there. Wow. Is it going to keep free agents from going there? No, but uh, it would appear that Garrett Cole is out of there. And while it was kind of assumed that he would be leaving at the end of the season throughout the year, and you heard kind of in the second half, well, the Astros aren't going to have him next year. The Astros were very interested, and I, I would assume still are very interested in re-signing him. So uh, I just, you know, his statements and he came after the World Series, he took a step back and he put out a nice Instagram tweet about his warm feelings about the organization. Um, but you know, that kind of thing. I'm sure when he made his initial comments, which if you missed it, he was wearing a Boris Corporation cap after the game. And when asked to talk, he's like, well, I'm not really an employee of the Astros anymore, am I? I guess I'll just go represent myself. 
which mm. is a horrendous statement to make after, mm. you know, you've got 24 teammates in that clubhouse are feeling pretty bad right now. I uh, came out, cleaned that up the next day, which I'm sure was the agent saying, hey, you're not very marketable saying those kinds of things. Yeah. So just a lot of weirdness going on with the Astros. Still a great team, still will be a great team next year, but uh, these are not the things you want coming out at the end of a season. As a Mariners fan, you can really only hope that what happened to the Astros is akin to what happened to the Seahawks in 2014. A supremely talented team with everybody in their prime experienced some hardship and they continue to point fingers at each other until it all implodes and goes away. Um, and I think that's a legitimate thing that they can be worried about. Well, I would point out that's not the issue with the players. I think things are pretty, uh, you know, I think there is... They lost, they lost every home game in the World Series. There's going to be As some As did the finger. team that won. Yeah, but the they World also Series. won it. So uh, <laughs> the fact that they lost a World Series in embarrassing fashion and had controversy, I think that there's still the potential that there could be finger pointing that goes on for yeah, a long time. And I think time. it would be more player versus front office than it would be player versus yeah, player. Yeah, it could be. There yeah. are a lot of good dudes in that clubhouse. Um, I don't know what the situation was is with Ozuna in that clubhouse and would anything have been heard if the idiot assistant GM hadn't said what he had said. Um, I don't know where they are with that, but as far as the majority of that team, uh, there are good guys in there. I've never gotten a really bad feel in that, not in the last couple of years, in that clubhouse. So it's interesting, and rather than player versus player, it's there are things going on in that front office and now at the ownership level, too, it would appear if Nolan Ryan is involved. And it's not good to be in the papers for that kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. So major developments. Uh, it'll be cool to... Uh Watch potentially the Astros struggle to figure out where to go from here and try and get that fire back. Now, it's been hard for the Cubs after winning quite a bit and then seeing some lack of success. It's been hard for them to get back to the top of the mountain with a team that's full of people who are still in their prime too. So I'll be watching real closely with these Astros and how they deal with the fallout of this World Series for and sure. And just a, one final thought on that. They also, for a second straight year, are playing that full additional month at mm. the end, and that does catch up with teams. Yeah. So we'll see. It'll, it'll be interesting to watch. Let's go into the waiver wire and the transactions. Uh, mm -hmm. The Mariners have made a couple of subtractions, made a couple of additions. So what are you seeing, Shannon? What are we dealing with? Flurry of activity after the World Series. A lot of it is housekeeping. Uh, we did see uh, Keon Broxton declined as outright AAA free agent. Anthony Bass claimed off waivers by Toronto. That one surprised me that he was placed on waivers. I think he was due to make uh, $1.718 million uh, next season. And my thought with him was, A, he's a useful reliever. He's an experienced reliever. Uh, five saves for the team last year. Pitched well for them in stretches. He didn't have a lot that you could depend on in that bullpen. He was an arm that Scott Service could depend on. I thought they'd offer him because he seemed to be on a good path, and he seemed to me the type uh, that you could go into the season with. I'm depending on this player. If he continues along the way he's going, could probably be traded at the deadline, not for anything huge, but for something. And Jerry DePoto likes those somethings. Yeah. You know, he likes that single A guy that – you know, perhaps is long shot, but could have that upside. No, oh, I like that too. I think there's there's a level of risk reward in that, right? And Absolutely. they may be looking and saying the chances that we bring in five guys at major league minimum and one of them becomes what Anthony Bass was last year are high enough that there's not a lot of incentive for me to trust that Anthony Bass is the guy to do that again. They're so. also bringing up a lot of young pitchers from the minor leagues, too. But, again, I, I like having that kind of veteran presence there. And that one did surprise me, and a few others as well. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, not monumental by any means. Yep. Matt Whistler is gone. He will not be the opener. He was claimed off waivers by Minnesota. 
How <sighs> wild was his season? He was two different pitchers. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, uh, people will try to say that roles are not that important in a bullpen. <laughs> yeah. But how many times do we have to watch guys perform differently in different situations to say there is a mentality difference between where you pitch in a game? So, um, yeah, he's a good example of that. Absolutely. Uh, Ryan Healy is now a free agent. He, of course, has been coming back from that back surgery. Uh, he had a big, uh, fairly sizable arbitration number on him. So. He's been cut loose. Hopefully uh, he will be healthy and, and get to play next year. Great guy. Always fun to have him around. But uh, writing was on the wall for that one for a while. You need first base open for Evan White at some point of next year. Yeah. Probably in the first half. Uh, Felix Hernandez is a free agent. Yeah. So close the book on that. That's official. End of He's an no era. longer End of a in America of Jersey. Almost. Tommy Malone, also a free agent. Somebody they might have interest in bringing back. He, uh, yeah. suited, he filled his role nicely. Uh, Erotus Viscaino. Okay. Tell me more about it. <laughs> He's a free agent. <laughs> okay. Oh, good for him. No. He was acquired uh, in trade late in the season, mm. but was on uh, the IL after Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Kind of a cash deal there. So yeah. uh, we will not know what he could have been as a Mariner. Uh, 40 man is now at 35, and that is because they added Phillips Valdez. Yeah, so tell, do you know anything about Phillips Valdez? What can you tell us about him? Is this a name we will have to remember on February 1st? Well, their first acquisition, and it was funny, the predictable tweets were there, oh, yawn, you know, big deal. Well, yeah, a lot of them are going to be yawn, big deal. That's yeah. part of it. They're not all uh, significant. The significance is, is he was put on the 40-man roster. Doesn't mean he's going to stick the entire offseason. Uh, you've seen a lot of players that are signed early. Uh, that they do uh, outright and, and move on when they find others that can fill those spots. He does have some big league experience, uh, very, very limited with the Texas Rangers. Uh, interesting numbers, kind of a, like a real legitimate swing guy, hmm. it, looks up, uh, it looks like, both starting and relieving. Did not have a great year last year, but he was at AAA. And what happened at AAA last year? Major League Baseballs and all starters saw their ERAs go through the roof. Uh, two years ago, very, very nice season. A 2.73 ERA at Double uh, A, split between starting and relieving. So, uh, not sure if they're looking at him as a reliever, as a uh, guy that could do both, or as a starter, which they will need to fill at least one starter role. I don't think he is the starter or the acquisition. Probably, uh, just an interesting arm, versatile arm that uh, they dropped to him in the waivers, and Jerry said, "Why not?" So he's the first of that uh, group of relievers that we no doubt will see that we don't know much about, that they know more about than we do, and think that they can do something with. Hmm. That's some good stuff. So uh, look at a little bit of your crystal ball, catch you off guard. Do you expect any activity within the next two or three weeks? Um, yeah, uh, I think that he does like to strike early, and I believe when we talked to him at first, I thought he was talking about making a trade early, and then I went back and listened again, and Jerry said that uh, he expected to be active early uh, in free agency. And that so. is somewhat of the hallmark of Jerry DePoto because he, compared to many other teams, I think, likes to identify specific players, not types of players, but specific ones, and says, I want to come out of this offseason with that guy. I think he falls into that category right. more than some GMs. Right, they're that, prepared. You know, they make a quick strike yeah. and, and know what, then sometimes, you know, they don't hang around and see if they can get a bigger, better deal if there is somebody that they are targeting. They, you know, this is the value that we see on them and go. Uh, we are, what is the date today? The 6th or the 7th? 7th, uh, right about the midpoint of where he has made his first trade hmm. every year. So if we get into mid-next week and he hasn't made a trade, that's a little different. Yeah, we, We've seen that from him 
early on. They did add an international signing yesterday. Yeah, tell me a little bit about this. It sounds like added a speedster. Um, yeah, it's an interesting player, uh, Victor Labrada, and uh, we, we saw a tweet on him yesterday from somebody who covers the international stuff. The Mariners uh, had agreed to a $350,000 deal with him that comes out of the international pool. And uh, Cuban, who got out two days before the, um, the Ma Major League Baseball and Cuban Federation had a, a nice kind of system worked out where players could come play in the U.S. Now, the U.S. Federation, or the would have to pay the Federation 25% of, I believe, their signing bonus hmm. uh, for that, but it kind of uh, wiped out the necessity of defecting or the, hmm. the boat trips that we've seen and the, the dangerous situations that a lot of Cuban ballplayers have put themselves in to come to the U.S. Uh, that, I believe, agreement only lasted four months before the Trump administration wiped it out. Hmm. So he got out two days before the, the rule hmm. was basically, in effect, canceled. So uh, spent the last year, the better part of the last year, in the Dominican Republic and uh, becoming eligible. Uh, he is now at the uh, facility, in the Mariners facility in the Dominican, working out. Talked to a couple of people about him. Guillermo Heredia is the comparison that came up quite a bit. Uh, speedster, uh, can play all three uh, outfield positions, a true center fielder, just 19. He's a ways off from the major leagues right now. Uh, big, big, big uh, aggressiveness at the plate. This hmm. is a guy who's going to get up there and take his hacks. Not a very big guy. A little guy who takes big hacks is uh, one of the, the quotes that I got on him. But uh, worth uh, left-handed, which is really interesting because when you look at what this team looks like going forward with all the young prospects, that they have a lot of left-handed hmm. in that group. But uh, good baseball instincts, and I think will be somebody that will be interesting to follow. And uh, I was told that he probably will play stateside, or he assuredly will play stateside in 2020. So just okay. 19, but he will not spend the year in the Dominican summer. It's really interesting. So, okay. Um, and it was funny because I did get a little bit of video. I don't have permission to show the video. Would oh, you like to see I the video? I want to watch it. You're getting an exclusive like watch party viewing this is going to of be a reaction us watching video the video. Right here. So here he is right taking here some taking some swings. Yeah, nice wiggle on the hands. Oh, yeah, steady <laughs> movement. Oh, he's just unloading. He's just unleashing on that ball. And again, not very big. No. Look at him. Just confidence, <laughs> dipping his head, putting his whole body into it. He's analyzing his own swing like it's a golf swing. I like that. You know when you take that swing and you go, oh, get that flow? Yeah, that's pretty good. I think one more. He's going big for this one. Oh, yeah. The focus, the follow-through. Follow yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's so, a company. Yeah, I, I, I love that. That's great. We don't have permission. Really so good. You have to go with Howdy's yeah. reaction. Really, really good. That's a powerful confidence. You cannot confident. get contact, yeah. content like this anywhere oh, else. Oh, that was excellent. You guys, oh, you should have seen that. That's really good. <laughs> so, 19, I yeah. think worth following. Very cool. Interesting player right there. Yeah. And good to see the Mariners using the international uh, pool. Yeah, use every resource you have. a little bit more. Yeah, so. that's one of the things they found some success in over time. They went through a big, long stretch where they really didn't get a whole lot out of the international pool. Um, so it's good to see them using some of those investments and trying not to just stash that in the Dominican leagues or Venezuelan leagues, but trying to incorporate that into their actual minor league systems that go beyond those leagues. Um, I think that's positive, yeah. uh, trying to find some actual value and growth out of that. It's yeah, very cool. It's good to see that. And kind of a player, I think, a little bit more under the radar. We'll, we'll see where 
what yeah. becomes of him, but was a lot of fun to hear about him and see the video, and uh, we'll see where he goes. Okay, the big news of the day, um, coaching decisions have been yes. made and announced. Yes, uh, I want your take. First, to walk us through what happened, and uh, let's get some of your thoughts. Okay, a lot happened. Um, a lot of familiar faces, but they're all in different places right now. Bullpen Ooh. co. okay, just to recap, uh, Jim Brower and uh, Chris Prieto, Jim Brower bullpen coach, third base coach Chris Chris Prieto, uh, both let go at the end of the season. Pitching coach Paul Davis reassigned. Uh, he is now the chief pitching strategist, which is, a, I think, a, a very good role for him. This guy knows pitching, knows uh, the technologies, can break down pitching, and it is just light years different than what it was, say, 10 years ago and how you do that. So uh, pitching strategists, I'm sure he will have hands on everybody in the organization and uh, a, a lot of knowledge and um, a lot of um, knowledge in how to utilize everything that's available to uh, pitchers and coaches now. So I think that's a good move. I like that. Uh, bullpen coach will be Brian DeLunis, who was another pitching strategist in the last year, bullpen coach before that. And if you don't remember, he came to the organization in a little bit of an unconventional role, although unconventional or unconventional is now the norm hmm. for coaching hires. That is, everybody is looking for what is next in coaching. Hmm. You can only do so much with your players. What can we do? Can we hire better coaches that can do different things and have different views and have different knowledge to make our players better? So much more is being put into that throughout baseball, and the Mariners very on top of this. Uh, Brian DeLunis had his own pitching academy, and he is um, very, 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 very versed in the biomechanical side of things and the technology side of things, and I want to get him in here, hmm. sit him between Ooh. us, and have a pitching conversation yeah. someday because... He is a guy that can explain the spin and the shaping and uh, talk about the technologies. And when he does, it's, it's you're on the edge of your seat, just they can do what, they're doing what, and okay, that's how that works. It's just a great guy to talk pitching. I got him at the end of the season last season because there was a lot of discussion, what's the difference between a fork ball and a splitter? Hmm. Um, because who was it? Matt Carasetti had one or the other, and some people were calling it one, and others were the other. He took a baseball, and he's showing me everything with it, and uh, just a great conversation. So was it a fork ball or a splitter? What do you I think he had more of a fork ball than a splitter, and there don't ask me to explain it all. And all right. some people do, in, base, in the game, believe they are the same thing. Hmm. But Brian kind of broke it down in a different, more technical manner and uh, went from there. So he um, has been working with Mariners pitchers in the last year quite a bit. Uh, he's one of those guys when they bring a guy in and say, hey, this is his strength, you know, let's find where his strength is, try and amplify that and go from there. He's one of the guys who's done a lot of work on that side as well as um, scouting. He doesn't go out and scout them, but uh, targeting hmm. pitchers that they can do that with. Um, he's just going to be working more with a big league team. So it's no longer bullpen coach now is so much more than, okay, yeah, this guy's up and ready. It's now the bullpen coach is actually working with the pitchers. Yeah, the relievers quite a bit. So Brian DeLunis, uh, back with the big league club on a permanent basis. Um, the other names that you are more uh, acquainted with, Manny Acta is back, but he is going to be third base coach. Jared uh, Sandberg will be bench coach. Uh, Sandberg came, of course, from the Rays organization, managed quite a bit in the Rays organization. Local guy. Local guy. Um, Manny Acta came into the Mariners organization as the third base coach, very comfortable over there, very comfortable with the decision-making. Um, I, I think that this is more than anything just an opportunity to give opportunities to others. I think that when you look at this coaching staff, they work together. There's not much of a hierarchy. It's they all are 
hands on all hands on deck and, and everything that is involved in getting this team to go. So um, I think it's uh, kind of a matter of giving Sandberg a little look as Manny has had for the last three years. So hmm. a little bit of a flip there. Perry Hill is back at first base and infield. Um, Tim Laker is the hitting coach once again. A little change on the hitting side. Jared DeHart has been named the hitting assistant, and that is something he basically did last year. They had two guys that were kind of rotating in and out of that. And by the end of the year, you saw a lot more of DeHart working with the hitters. He already has that relationship. Um, he has got his areas of expertise in working with hitters. Laker has got his. They work great together. And um, DeHart had a, a couple of players that you could tell he had a different relationship with. Mm -hmm. And hitters do that. They kind of find their guy. It's not always the hitting coach. Yes, the hitting coach is ultimately their coach, but um, they usually want somebody else that is going to have a little bit more time because the hitting coach is responsible for everybody. Kyle Seeger is a huge, he always like finds his guy. You know, one year it was Chris Woodward, it was Chris Prieto for a long time. There was another guy in that clubhouse other than the hitting coach that is going to be helping hmm. Kyle Seeger with his hitting. And uh, DeHart is kind of one of those guys who Interesting. guys will pick up with. Um, and then you get into the newer names. Um, we're familiar with them, but perhaps they're not as kind of household Mariners names. Major League Field Coordinator is going to be Carson Vitale, and he was the minor league field coordinator for the organization. And what is a field coordinator? Well, um, one of the big things that they do in the major leagues is they set the spring training schedule, but um, what they do at the big league level is they have a hand in absolutely everything. They go and they help out wherever is needed. Uh, Carson on the conference call, he's like, hey, I am a generalist uh, by nature, and this is perfect for me. Um, talked a lot about relationships and talked a lot about a lot of the terminology that you hear throughout the minor league organization and Andy McKay. And, you know, he said the biggest thing is, is we've got to be a family. We've got to get everybody feeling that this is a family, everybody on the same page. So he is a guy that will be making contact with players every single day. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Pete uh, Woodworth is now the pitching coach, and he is an interesting hire. And uh, not, he was an interesting hire for the Mariners five years ago. He's been in the organization, came in, uh, spent a year at Low A uh, or at um, at Clinton, and then two years at Modesto. Uh, was the Arkansas Travelers pitching coach last year, which means he was working with three fifths of what they hope are eventually going to be their starting rotation. Uh, has drawn rave reviews everywhere where he's been. Was a college pitcher, pitched one year in the Rays organization, and then became an area scout for them. Hmm. Went back and was a college pitching coach for a couple of years, and uh, then. Got picked up by the Mariners, has a history with Andy McKay, the farm director. Played for Andy McKay. Andy McKay used to manage a Northwoods League team, uh, Wood Bat League, and uh, Woodworth uh, said he basically became my baseball mentor. Hmm. And so they very much speak the same language and, again, very versed in the analytics, the technology, um, but also has those communication skills and those relationships with the younger players. So this coaching staff has gone uh, younger with a lot of these hires, a lot more beards on the co coaching staff right yes, now. Yes, thank you goodness. You must mm -hmm. have a beard if you're a Mariners uh, coach right now. And all internal, which to me says they have full confidence in the programs and the hires that they've made. They have hmm. been developing coaches. They have been developing processes. They have been developing communication systems, and uh, now, like they are with the players and elevating them, they are bringing up the coaches as well. A lot of times when you bring in a coach, particularly on the hitting or the pitching side, it's because you want to bring in something new 
they don't want to do that. I think they have confidence in what they have set up in the miners and the systems that they have established, and they're going forward with that. Yeah, uh, that's great takeaways and good, good breakdowns of those coaching decisions. I think the thing that stands out to me is some of the strategic element. I agree with you, and I think it matches up that they did promote a lot, so they are investing in their own style, their own philosophies, so I, I definitely see that. The other thing I see is age. I mean, age is a huge factor in how they've organized this staff. I mean, you've got three guys in their 50s with uh, Manny Actis, Scott Service, and Tim Laker. Perry Hill is very old. He's 67. Uh, he's very <laughs> he's old. Not bad. He's Come a great, on. He's a great-grandfather to most of them. He's very young at heart. Um, and then uh, you've got essentially then three new hires or promotions. Um, I'm not sure about Brian DeLunis' age, but you've got three guys that are under the age of 32, and your hitting assistant's 25. <laughs> That's, to me, this is a direct investment in saying our team is about to be very young. Mm-hmm. We are not just about to be a normal, average, run-of-the-mill, average ages 29 baseball team. They're getting ready for these young guys to be on this team, and they're getting it set now so that after next year when they do some experimenting and tinkering and getting some guys used to baseball, that after next season they're ready to go with a young coaching staff that understands their young uh, roster and they're ready to roll so I think age was a very important thing for them they're trying something a little bit new with as many young people as they have now on their major league coaching staff mm-hmm. I'll be really curious to see how it unfolds during the season I think it's got some potential to help bridge the gap between some of the older maybe more traditional managers um, and just kids like 23 24 years old and you see some guy talking in their 50s to you I mean they're your dad's age that's not as relatable it's you know and if Every single coach is that way. Who do you have that you trust? Mm-hmm. Where's that mentor type figure that you can go to and say, like, I look up to this guy. I trust what this guy says because I look up to him. I, I never watched, you know, these guys have never watched Manny Acta play. They never mm-hmm. watched Scott Service play for the Like, they just never watched any of those guys. So for them to have some guys that are closer to their age that are, you know, athletic and as coaches, I think it's going to be helpful for them. Uh, It's going to give some perspective. It's so funny because if this were five, six years ago, I I think that the conversation would be, well, how are they going to respect this person as more like a peer? But now with a younger generation of players, and this is something that I remember Manny Acta got into it, I want to say three, four years ago in spring training, and he said, we have to know how to coach the modern player. Yeah. And the modern player is completely different. And you could say, well, every year there's a modern player. It's that player at that time. Now, this group is completely different. It's a generational thing right now. It happened and it occurred very quickly. And a lot of it is just, you know, what you have available to you and what you were brought up in. Mm -hmm. And baseball being the most traditional sport of all is always so slow to change. I mean, it can take decades to change Mm -hmm. anything. And they're realizing that, you know, the kids who are brought up on the computer and on the, you know, the instant uh, communication, the instant answers, the instant reaction, that's kind of huge. Mm -hmm. And feedback is everything when you are trying to coach right now. And it's different with this young group. And this is something that uh, I think the Mariners recognize fairly early on is that you got to turn the page quick right now. And they have. Well, in the 90s, I mean, a kid can look and be like, wow, that guy was a major leaguer. Like, there's inherent respect there. 
now, I mean, just because you were in the major leagues, I don't think that says as big of a message to a young player as it used to. And I think a lot of it is the exposure that they get to see great talent all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like they didn't have to have a cable subscription to watch Major League Baseball. They're watching GIFs and photos and videos of their best prospects who were two years ahead of them and admiring those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a different atmosphere. And I hope, because you look around baseball right now, and there are so many young, exciting players, I hope that ultimately this is great for the game. And you're seeing them come up younger. You're seeing them discovered. And it's no longer a case of, well, you've got to spend four years in the minor leagues before you've got a shot at looking at the majors right now. And I, I think ultimately that this is good for the game. And, you know, as this translates to the players, hopefully it translates to the fans as well yeah. with the youth and, and kind of the energy that brings and uh, the relatableness. Oh, I got that out. Uh, good for you. Of, of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Are you ready to play my most dangerous game? Um, I'm going to let you do one thing before we do that. Oh, okay, I'm ready. Two-minute Husky rant. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I've gotten so much of my emotional energy out about this team, but (laughs) the Huskies, man. So they lose to Utah, a tough game, the first game of the season that I would put directly on Jacob Eason. Like, they lost that game because Eason made a lot of bad decisions. But heading into this season, I would have expected there's one game on the roster, one game on the schedule that your quarterback is going to play bad enough to lose that game. The rest of them, he should give you a chance, and if you use them right, you should have an advantage in every game. That's my biggest problem with this team. They haven't used their quarterback and their offense in a way that gives them an advantage in every game. So um, to that point, that one's on Jacob Eason, and it honestly doesn't hurt as bad because I expected one of those this year. Now, moving forward, a team that's basically staring on the barrel at 500 if you lose this next game, that's, uh, that's unconscionable to me. I don't understand how they, they they dethroned themselves in a lot of ways. Like, there wasn't something else that came along, in my opinion, in the Pac-12 that said, like, oh, well, the Huskies can't compete with that. That's the new greatest thing. No. The Huskies, they got themselves in a position where they had the best quarterback in the conference, in my opinion, and at least arguably the number two or three one, uh, if you talk about Tyler Huntley and oh, you talk about is Justin Herbert. Is he or Herbert. was that just reputation? I mean, have we seen that? I think, I, I honestly believe that he will be a top 15 pick in the 20. 20- 20 Does that NFL mean he's draft. the best, one of the best, though? I mean, is that more an Performance-wise, right? he hasn't played as the best in the conference, but when you look at what he can do when he puts it together, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody in college football who looks like that. When he played the way that he played against uh, a couple of their lesser opponents, when he played the way he played against BYU, I haven't seen anybody play like that in college football this year to me. Okay. And I don't watch a lot of SEC football, so don't come at me with your Joe Burrows and your Tua Tungvaloas. But I just think that when, well when, you, when you're talking about a guy with an elite skill set and he's been in your program for now two years and he sat there for a year and all he could do is just absorb what you do and you had him there to train and get ready for this opportunity and you weren't. And that is just so egregious to me. You had an elite talent at quarterback the position you needed an upgrade at, and then you didn't take that next step forward and prepare your offense this season to be one of the five best in college football, I think that's a coaching problem, and it bothers me. So, end rant, that's what I have to say well, about it. Well, thank that. goodness they had that quarterback competition. I mean, where would they be without Unreal. That, yeah. that was ridiculous. Right. That was such a sham. <laughs> Anyways. Um, before I let you go, we're a couple of weeks out. Is it time to be worried about an Apple Cup outcome? No. No. Okay. You should never be worried about the Apple Cup okay. outcome. Print it. <laughs> Should never be worried about an Apple much Cup. Better as long right as now. Mike Leach and Chris Peterson are where they are, you should never okay, worry about so it. So all is not lost. <laughs> That's right. All right. Are you ready for my most dangerous game? I think so. I have some stats without names 
or some names without stats. And、great. your job is going to be to give me the answer to these. So we'll give a couple so seconds between answers. So not good at this.、Okay. Um, this is all facts related to last year, the 2019 Seattle Mariners. Okay. The number of Mariner relievers to appear in 40 plus games last year. You got to give me an over/under. I can't come up with the exact. How、number. many people do you think? How many relievers do you think appeared in 40 or more games last year for the Mariners? Two. The answer? Four. Oh. Rowena Salias, Anthony Bass, Brandon Brennan, and Corey Geeran. World Series champion Rowena Salias. The year before, there were、uh, there were six, I believe. Yeah. Anyways. Um, all right. The number of starts that were made last year by Yusei Kikuchi. Remember, heading into the season, was it twenty-nine or thirty? One of the things they talked about was they wanted to keep him on、was、a relative innings count. Twenty-six. I'm seeing numbers that were twenty-six. The answer is thirty-two. I go with my original answers. <laughs> 32 starts for Yusei Kikuchi, and they'd said they were going to manage his load, and they were going to have him take starts off, and they were going to skip him in the rotation. Made 32 starts last yeah, year. Yeah, but the innings. Their innings were probably close to where they wanted him, but 32 starts. Part of it was load well, management. Well, no, no, no. The other thing was was that they said that they wanted to make. They were、sure、going to give him one inning starts. How many of those did he get this last year? Two. Two. Maybe that's not one. I think it was just one. That's not a one, plan. No, there was one one-inning start and one skip. Yeah, that's、and、not a one plan. One manipulation around the all-star. No, it was a plan. That、they、should basically be done for every okay, starter, though. No, here's the deal: is they wanted to get him used to the pitching <laughs> every fifth day, and they certainly did that. Did they? He pitched every fifth day. He did it, but he didn't do it well. So did I they? I don't think that had anything to do <laughs> with the fact that he kept pitching. That was pretty much start to finish. Well, we're going to come back to that in a future date because I think there's an interesting conversation there in theory versus execution that I'm not on the same page with you for that. Okay.、Um, wins for Felix Hernandez. Wins for Felix Hernandez. How many wins did he get?、I、don't remember.、Um, He had 15 starts. Well, How many of them? He had like one. One. Yes, Felix Hernandez got one、yes. win on the season with eight losses and 15 starts. And had none between like June 6th of last year and that one win. Crazy. The number of pitchers who pitched for the Seattle Mariners with a five-plus ERA. Oh wow! Excluding position players. They pitched for the Seattle Mariners and、did、ended their time. Player, did Murphy have a five-plus? I think so. I think so. I enjoy watching him. Pitch, That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. But the、uh, number Felix, of pitchers. You had Kikuchi.、Uh, I think Whistler.、Um, I gotta get into the relievers. Did、uh, Justin Dunn finish over? Wade LeBlanc. There's too many relievers. There's no way I could come up with that. Are you kidding? I'm not, I'm not telling you. Give me the names. The answer: twenty-two. <laughs> oh boy! Twenty-two Mariner pitchers ended last year with an ERA over five. Well, I was、Mariners. trying to name them all. <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Whoa, this is going to be a that task." That was not the baseball like it was in Triple A. All right. Okay. Okay. The three Mariner players with the most games played last season.、Uh, What are their names? All right. Um, oh, that's actually kind of tough. You didn't keep guys out on the field. Not really be Kyle Seager, but、um, no. 
Is Daniel Vogelback one of them? Number one. Okay. 144 games played. Malik Smith. Number two, 134 games played. This is where it's going to get weird. D. Gordon. Ooh, nope, not D. Gordon. Another guess? Not bad. I don't think so. Outfield, D. Gordon. Domingo was out too long. It wasn't Seeger, was it? No, it wouldn't be Seeger if it wasn't Gordon. I don't know. Omar Narvaez. Oh, wow. Appeared in 132 games. Okay. So that's interesting. Daniel Vogelback, Malik Smith, Omar Narvaez. Players with a 300 batting average, over 300 batting average, regardless of how many games they played. Oh, stop it. How many no. players? How many players on the team in 2019 finished the season with a 300 batting average or better, regardless of how many games they I played? I have no idea. There's no way. I mean, it could be a guy that came up and had one at bat. I don't know. Zero. Okay. Zero. Not a single player in the Mariners roster, no matter how many games they played, finished with a 300 batting average or better. Uh, players with 20 or more doubles. <laughs> You're killing me. Um, two. Ooh, close. There are three. Can you name them? Encarnacion? No, no, he fell short. Um, no, I cannot name. Uh, Omar Narvaez. No, he did not. Kyle Seeger. No, he did not. I just this is awful. Domingo Santana had twenty. What? He had twenty doubles. Uh, J.P. Crawford had twenty-one doubles. Okay. Tim Beckham had twenty-one Forgot doubles. Forgot about Beckham. To tie for the team lead, J.P. Crawford and Tim Beckham with 21 doubles. Uh, in comparison, there were five players who finished with 20 or more home runs. So I thought that was interesting. Um, all right, Marco Gonzalez. This is not uh, a part of the game. I'm just going to tell you some numbers. Marco Gonzalez in 2019 had a 399 ERA. In 2018, a 4.00 ERA. Mm -hmm. In 2019, he threw 203 innings. And in 2018, 166, like you talked about last video. Mm -hmm. He has improved in that. In 2019, through 56 walks, 32 in 2018. So the walk numbers were up. He had 147 strikeouts this season, 145 strikeouts last season. Fewer innings. His walks and hits per innings pitch is whip, 1.3 this year, 1.22 in 2018. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty remarkably similar between those two years. It is pretty remarkably similar, but he was pitching differently, which is what's very interesting about that. And I knew those numbers were, at first look, it was like, oh, he took a step forward. Numbers-wise, they are very similar, but I think that um, he had to get away from that cutter this year, like a lot did, and if they're able to get that pitch back, if they do do something with the baseball, uh, I think that he's learned a lot through pitching through that, and if he had not had that uh, three disastrous starts, um, mostly in May, I think you're looking at a different pitcher right there. I, I think I still believe he took a step forward. I think getting him to the end of the season, and I think those innings are more important than you give credit for. All right, fair enough, very fair. Because he is, I mean, you're not looking at him to be your number one. You're not really even looking at him to be your number two when this thing is all said and done. But if he can be that anchor guy, 
at number three. That's a darn good anchor with hmm. those numbers. Okay, I have three left for you. Which two pitchers in baseball who played for the Mariners last year finished in the top three of home runs allowed? Um, well, you say Kikuchi. Number three with 36 home runs given up. Mike Leake. Number one in baseball with 41 home runs given up. Now, who is, the, who am I missing? That's it. Those are the two oh, of the top three. Two of the top three yeah, were former yes. Mariners at least, and in one case, a, a Mariner the entire season. So, and interesting. And a gold glover. Gave up a lot of home runs. Um, one Mariner, a pitcher, appeared in the top 99 in baseball of strikeouts thrown. Austin, who was it? Austin Adam? No, oh. Raw number? just Raw number of strikeouts thrown in 2019. One Mariner pitcher appeared in the top 99 in baseball. Marco Gonzalez. Had, was number 61 with 147. Yusei Kikuchi, number 100 with 116 strikeouts. Austin Adams had, I believe, a top five in the American League strikeout rate for the number of innings that he pitched. Uh, per, per innings pitched. Pretty good. And last... Which player had more home runs on the season in 2019, Daniel Vogelback or Jose Altuve? <laughs> Daniel Vogelback? <laughs> the answer, Jose Altuve. Had more? Had 31 home runs. Okay. Daniel Vogelback had 30. So some interesting facts. Congratulations. You've passed Howdy's Most Dangerous game. I did not pass. I, I absolutely <laughs> failed it, but you made it most dangerous. There's some interesting numbers in there, huh? Yeah, some interesting to things to look forget at. forget a lot of those numbers, to be honest with <laughs> you. I'm to all about moving on right now. There was not a lot of those not so pleasant. Should have done this in the first one. Well, probably, all the same. Go. Uh, an interesting look back and some of the things that stood out and some of the things that the Mariners are going to be trying to address moving forward. So uh, I think that wraps it up for this episode. It does. Uh, stay tuned in the next couple of weeks. We expect the Mariners could be making a move of some kind in the next couple of weeks and hopefully next time we're here it's because we're breaking down a real addition for the Mariners that could have an impact on the field in 2020.